Hi, I'm Gianna Volpe, and thank you for listening to The Heart of the East End on WLIWFM, the show where we get to the heart of any matter at hand with folks from all walks of life on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. We stream online at WLIW.org radio and welcome your comments, questions, and collaborations of all kinds on The Heart of the East End. Live from the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York, I'm Gianna Volpe with local news on Long Island's only NPR radio station. A 31-year-old man drowned after getting caught in a rip current at Ditch Plains Beach in Montauk Tuesday evening. Three off-duty East Hampton Town lifeguards were surfing nearby, pulled the man identified by police as Benjamin Z. Kitbury of Montauk and two other distressed swimmers, both female, from the surf west of the main parking lot just after 7.30 p.m. on Tuesday. The lifeguards brought Kitbury to the beach and began performing CPR until ambulance and emergency medical personnel arrived. Michael Wright reports on 27East.com that the man and one of the women, 26-year-old Persia Jensen, also of Montauk, Kitbury's fiance, were transported to Stony Brook Southampton Hospital by Montauk Fire Department ambulance, where the man was pronounced dead. The woman was not in serious condition and was taken to the hospital for evaluation. The third swimmer, 32-year-old Jensen Turner of Montauk, was evaluated by EMS at the scene but not hospitalized. John Ryan, chief of East Hampton Town's lifeguards, said surf conditions on Tuesday were hazardous, with yellow flag wave conditions posted at all town beaches. The surf was especially dangerous in Montauk, where rip currents can be especially strong. And the wind and surf appears to have cranked up late in the day, as is common on warm summer days, after lifeguards were off duty. Quote, with strong south-southwest wind like that and the four-foot waves, the rip currents get really bad, Ryan said. Motel Row was bad all day. Yesterday, Benjamin Kitbury's father told Newsday that his son was a good swimmer and said that's what made the whole situation so much harder to understand. Quote, I guess he never got caught in a swift current like that before, he said. He was just there to spend the summer. Now I'm trying to make arrangements to go there. And I don't even know what to do. It's that hard for me to understand. The victim's mother, Tina Kitbury, said her son was born in British Columbia, went to elementary school in Maryland, and high school in Washington State. He was a very soulful spirit, she said of her son. He loved his life in New York City. He was very happy to be there. Also on the water, a great white shark, dead but looking very much alive, washed ashore yesterday in Quag. Village police arrived and took several photographs, but the tide washed the deceased shark out to sea before they could secure it for a necropsy. Bureau Chinise reports on Newsday.com that the predator, between 7 and 8 feet long, was spotted about 9.30 Wednesday morning by a resident who called Quag Village Police. Great whites can grow to be more than 21 feet long, lifeless in police photos, but with black eyes agape and rows of sharp teeth exposed in an open mouth. The quag shark appears ready to strike as it lies in the inch-deep surf, another reminder to already ocean-weary Long Islanders of what swims just off the coastline. New York State Department of Environmental Conservation representatives reviewed the photos and determined it was a great white. According to the agency, DEC police officers arrived on the scene but were unable to locate the carcass. Quag police have cautioned swimmers and boaters to be aware and to keep their distance 
as law enforcement monitors for sharks. Quag Village Police have asked anyone who believes they have spotted a shark to call police headquarters at 631-653-4791. In health news, an additional 1,800 doses of the much-sought-after monkeypox vaccine will be available starting today on Fire Island in Bayshore and also Hampton Bays next week and continuing through next week. Suffolk County officials announced yesterday via Chinese reports on Newsday.com that Governor Kathy Hochul announced uh, this week that the additional 1,800 doses were headed to Suffolk County and 1,000 would be allotted to Nassau. All vaccine doses require an appointment, which in Suffolk County can be made by visiting SuffolkCountyNY.gov slash monkeypox. Quote, it's important if you want to get that vaccine that you go to the link when those open up and secure your place in line. That's Suffolk County Executive Steve Ballone, who said that during a Wednesday news conference announcing the additional clinics. Also regarding communicable disease, local health officials are recommending that South Fork residents wear face masks again if they're going to be indoors in close proximity to numerous other people as new and more transmissible variants of the COVID-19 virus are pushing new waves of infections. Quote, subvariants of the Omicron variant keep getting more and more transmissible and are better able to evade the prior antibodies from vaccination or previous infection. That's Dr. Frederick Weinbaum, the chief medical officer of Stony Brook Southampton Hospital, who also said additional precautions are advisable, especially for those at high risk because of medical conditions that make them less able to fight off infection. They really need to avoid indoor crowds, and if they have to be indoors around other people, wear the highest quality mask they can get, N95, or at least a surgical procedure mask, not a cloth one. Michael Wright reports on 27East.com that subvariants that have become dominant in recent weeks, BA.5, is currently the most common and most infectious version of the coronavirus yet, uh, have proven to be more infections, uh, have caught to cause more infections of vaccinated individuals and more reinfections of those who have had contracted other variants of the virus even recently. But they have thus far not created more severe illness like earlier variants of the virus like Delta in summer of 2021. Because of that, Weinbaum said cases of serious illness, hospitalization and deaths remain relatively low compared to previous waves of illness. Since May, new infections have been on the upswing, even prevalent in many instances with small clusters of infection hitting businesses and institutions as residents have moved away from precautions like mask wearing and avoiding crowded social situations. The medical community is trying to keep up. Weinbaum said that a new course of vaccines is expected this fall that will be tailored specifically to tackle the Omicron subvariants. In the meantime, Dr. Weinbaum recommends anyone over 50 get the second booster of the currently available vaccines and take the precautions they see appropriate for their own situation. I'm very hopeful for the future, he said, and very tired of the present. And finally, tonight could be the final hearing from the House Select Committee investigating the attack on the Capitol on January 6th. And we will be covering it on our website, WLIWFM.org tonight. The hearing starts at 8 p.m., but there will be special programming that wraps the event with all things considered lead-in coverage beginning at 7.30. We expect the hearing to focus on former President Trump's inaction to stop the attack on the Capitol during the 187 minutes when Trump was silent inside the White House as the riot unfolded. Again, that hearing begins tonight with All Things Considered, getting started at 7.30, live on the WLIWFM website, WLIWFM.org. Looking at the weather in Hampton Bays in honor of our first guest, Ron Zaleski, joining us live 
here in the WLIWFM studio to talk about the Long Walk Home nonprofit dedicated to helping veterans and their families transition to civilian life at the bottom of the hour for the Thoughtful Thursday segment. Underwritten by Green Hill Kitchen, looks like increasing clouds today with a high near 83 degrees, south wind 11 to 18 miles per hour, gusts as high as 28. So make sure you have all your items secured in your yard. There is a heat advisory in effect until 8 p.m., so please do stay hydrated out there. Mostly cloudy tonight, then gradually becoming clear with a low around 73 degrees. Southwest wind 5 to 14 miles per hour, becoming west after midnight. Right now it's 83 degrees. As I mentioned, I'm Gianna Volpe, the humble host of The Heart, the morning and midnight show here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. Uh, really uh, leveling up as far as the music is concerned. I somehow figured out how to connect both our guests this morning. So we're going to be starting with Jeff Dole's Walking Barefoot, go on to Bruce Springsteen's Long Walk Home, and we are eventually going to find ourselves in songs about meteors in honor of our next guest. Starting with Jeff Dole's Bruce Springsteen, Scenic Route to Alaska, Citizen King, and Neil Young and Crazy Horse, music from all decades and genres, interviews with folks from all walks of life, all morning and midnight long on Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Sometimes 
Slip something into my palm, then we're gone. I can smell the same deep green of summer. Above me, the same night sky was glowing. In the distance, I could see the town where I was born. It's gonna be a long walk home.
approaching the bottom of the hour here on Thursday morning. Just after midnight, if you're listening to the replay of this edition of The Heart, and that means it's time for our thoughtful Thursday segment underwritten by Green Hill Kitchen. Honored to be joined in the studio this morning by Ron Zaleski, a fellow Rotarian who grew up right here on the East End, born in Southampton Hospital, I'm assuming, grown, uh, raised in Hampton Bays. He owned the Seven Z's. And the Peconic Health and Racket, are those different things? No, they changed the name from Seven Z's to Peconic Health and Racket. When <clears throat> I had all sorts of trouble, so I figured a change in name would help. So I got some two two quick questions. Number one, what are the Seven Z's? Um, there was our last name is Zaleski, and there was got it. seven. There was seven children. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then two, uh, Peconic Health and Racket. Do you know anything about pickleball? I know that's like a really... No, I, I never really liked racquetball. But you owned like a, a place that sold... Yeah. I understand. That is very common. All right. So we're here to talk about very, very important topics, one of which is creating awareness about PTS. I noticed you left the D off on... Uh, on uh, um, say the words for me. Post-traumatic <clears throat> stress. Stress. And I appreciate that. Yeah. I imagine it's intentional. It is because um, when, you know, we say it's a disorder, we it's a judgment. I mean, yeah. what makes it a disorder is when you don't get enough sleep and you don't process it properly. But what they made it synonymous with military people and it's like we're all broken. You know, Which isn't true. No. When, if you're not human, if you don't have post-traumatic stress. Uh, after now, one of the things that we're talking about is is veterans and veteran suicide. Um, just to, to kind of touch on that a second about the importance, uh, how how much has, has veteran suicide grown, uh, particularly in the last decade or so? You know, it, it's hard to tell because the statistics get skewed because it depends upon who takes it. And, and what happens when I talk to the police officers, if it's not clearly... A suicide, like with a note, like with a, a letter, note or it's really obvious. You know, they don't write it as a suicide because of the damage it does to the family. Mm. Which, you know, which I didn't really, really, truly understand till I finished walking across the country. Then and I got it, and that's one of the things we're we're here to talk about is the long walk home. I thought I read somewhere something about. Uh, how uh, veterans, I think in the, the most, the, the current war, were dying more to suicide than to, uh, you know, dying yeah, in, battle. In, in combat. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's, it's horrific. It's horrible. I'm grateful to you because the Long Walk Home is centered around helping veterans transition back to civilian life, which is a huge Mm-hmm. issue it it's always been an issue no matter what war we're talking about um but i think especially when you consider uh, the substances and and that transition as well uh you know soldiers get get a lot of things put into their bodies yeah and, i would like to you know people don't really understand they you know, we have not only do we have post traumatic stress and ours is a, of a higher level than most civilians because of how it's caused by, you know, you're killing another human being. It's not like you're going to summer camp for ice cream. You're, you're out there for yes. a purpose. Yeah. 
So, so we have a moral injury because we're not raised our whole lives to kill. We're right. raised to be good, decent, loving people, right. to do the right thing. Then you take a young man or woman that's a teenager that's not fully formed yet, and you tr- train them extreme prejudice for 12 weeks to make somebody inhuman, then put them in a life-and-death situation where they kill, and then they have to live with it forever. People say, oh, just get over it. You don't get over that. And it's right. like the only way <clears throat> I can make civilians kind of get an understanding, and I'm non-combat, okay? So, you know, let's say you're driving your family in the car, and you get in this horrific accident. Everybody in the car is killed but you, your children, your husband, everybody. And then um, it might be your fault. It might not. We'll never really know. Get over it. You know that when you get in the car, the accidents happen. Just get over it. You're safe. Right. You don't say that to a person because, you know, logic and emotions have nothing to do with one another. They're in two different camps. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting the way you just described it. And it's a really great way to think about it because uh, it shows the multiple times someone's personhood is completely deconstructed and then put back together again, which sort of makes uh, a lot of sense of why uh, there's so much trouble. So this is someone who, like you, you mentioned, was raised to be a certain kind of person then in the military setting, deconstructed, broken yeah. down, and then built back up in a very short amount of time to be something completely different. Right. And yep. then and then again, and then there's 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 really from from the war setting to back to civilian life, there isn't there really isn't enough uh, retraining. No. To be no. to be a citizen. No, because you're you're kind of brainwashed, like you reprogram, like you said, you know. And then you come out, and then, you know, they just they send you out, and they they have programs, but they have ways around it because it's basically about money and time. Mm. And what they do, and I don't know if it's changed. When I was in, there was none, and if there was, they never sent me to it. Can you talk a little bit about it. about your your own uh, experiences? What well, branch of the military and whatnot? Yeah, well, I'm a Marine. Semper Fi. Thank you. That is a, a tough, tough, tough branch. Yeah. Well, I, back then I was, you know, uh, 19, and I won the draft lottery. My number was 34. My buddy was 16. He had a he. The only branch that would take him was the Marines because he got caught for the stuff we did. I didn't. Mm. So I went in with him. But I didn't want to go because I'm Catholic. I was raised that killing is wrong no matter what. I believed that. And before I was in the Marines, I was in the Merchant Marines. At the age of 17, I'm on a freighter. We're delivering military equipment to the Arabs, and we had signed a peace treaty with the Jews. And I'm saying, how can we do this? sell weapons to the enemies of our friends, and they all laughed at me and said it's about money. But from my mentality, where I was— It's interesting when you have that critical thinking element and you're looking, you're being told this and that. And then I contemplated suicide because how can I be part of this? Because the way I looked at it, you know, I really believed at that time that, you know, you do that, you go to hell forever. 
So I contemplated suicide. I figured, well, if I live, I, there's a real good chance I'm going to hell because I don't see me getting better because I'm part of this. And if I kill myself, I'm going to go to hell. So what's the point? And then I had that epiphany that we're here to love. And I can't really How did explain. you come? Wait, wait. I, I got to hear more about this moment because there's so... When you're at that uh, crossroads, let's say, yeah. of, uh, all right, I'm going to hell, right? Yeah. There's so many different directions oh, yeah. that you can go with that energy, one of which is, well, screw it. You know, it's kind of like if somebody says you're someone you're not, and yeah. then you're like, well, if, if, if they already think that, then I'm just going to yeah. be this way. Yeah. So how did you get there well, to this what, very I, I beautiful was... moment? You know, I think um, everything in my life I feel is either God and if I'm listening, mm-hmm. you know. So I had part of my job was to sit on the bow of the ship every night for two hours. And so after a month, my mind could be blank because I could just sit there and just be. Well, that's therapy right there. So when in one of those moments where I was just totally blank— it just filled me. I was this light. It was in me, around me, all. And then I just got why we're here. You know, words can't really explain that feeling and that what happened to me in that instant. But but I knew. You know, you know when you hear the truth, you know it. Right. It resonates. Yes. You know when you know. We are here to love, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. So that's that's when I got it. And I took it for granted that I would always be in that space and I didn't have to do anything to maintain it. Right. So, you know, I... That's in another important oh, uh, element yeah. for folks out there that, you know, because, uh, for, for example, I had an, a near-death experience, and I remember uh, being in the space of realizing that to breathe is a gift, just oh. to be yeah. is a gift. Yeah. And I was, uh, over and over again, so surprised at how this revelation could be taken for granted over, over the oh. years and how I could forget. Yeah this amazing thing. Yeah, so I was in that space, but when I came home, I didn't meditate. I didn't, I just was just being and living, but, you know, gradually it crumbled, and then I go in the Marines. Mm. And my parents asked me, why are you going in? And I came from a very abusive home. Mm. You know, my father is, well, I'm Polish, he's Polish. He, I'm second generation in this country. He's first generation. He was in World War II. He had a choice to go in World War II or go to prison for armed robbery for four years. That's the man who raised me. He was drunk every day of my life growing up. I got beat physically or verbally every day. And he was a big, scary guy to me. And the only way I could get at him, I used that passive-aggressive stuff we do when we're kids, you know? So that's why I went in, to hurt my parents. What was worse, the physical or the verbal? The verbal. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. <clears throat> I can take a beating. Right. But, you know, the scars of what somebody says that you bathe in. I mean, I was told I was stupid and no good. Right. Most of them growing up. You know, I mean, he loved me the best he could. Right. Because the way he grew up, I didn't know I had a grandfather till I was 17. Oh, my goodness. And this guy was a monster. I can only imagine. This guy, he died in the Bowery for a quarter. That's, that was my father's father. Treated the cat better than he treated my father. It was, when I was at his funeral, 
That's the second time I saw him in a casket. His ears were so big that were tucked behind his head, you know, them big Pollock ears and the nose. And I'm out in the lobby, you know, and all the relatives are talking, and they're talking bad about this guy the entire time. Wow. So the funeral parlor director comes out. He that says, just goes to show what he was like because oh, yeah. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of bad people get uh, glorified <laughs> after death. But yeah, not him. Not so, him. Well, he got glorified in how bad he was. So, mm. And then uh, the funeral parlor director comes out after a half an hour. He says, I've been in this business for 40 years. I have never heard anybody talk so bad about the deceased ever in my life. Surely there must be one good thing about this guy. A couple minutes of silence. My Uncle Andy says, he wasn't as bad as his brother. And everybody goes, aye, his brother. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, I don't even want to know. Yeah. All right, so I just have to say, Ron, thank you. Thank you uh, to you, but also to whoever or whatever brought you through all of this hardship to a place, you know, and and here's here's something, here's a positive thing to be said, is that the horrific treatment that you received as a child, in some ways, might have prepared you oh, yeah, definitely, for the horrors definitely. of war. I am grateful for it. Isn't that interesting? I am grateful for it because <clears throat> I get to help these young men and women because I've been there. Right. And <clears throat> the only reason they even listen to me is because they figured... This guy was crazy enough to walk the Appalachian Trail barefoot, then across the country barefoot for us on his own dime. I can listen to him because <clears throat> nobody wants to hear somebody talk that doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. Right. You're not going to go to a doctor that never, you know, operated on anybody or right. went to school. You're right. like, you got to be out of your mind. So you're not going to listen to somebody talk about. It's a real life hero, somebody, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. It's like a, it's like a Forrest Gump. Who walks instead of running? Yeah, so it's um, yeah, it's yeah. The the organization's called the Long Walk Home. Uh, do you lead these barefoot walks on the well, Appalachian Trail? What what it, happened was <clears throat> basically it was a one man show since two thousand six, and I did it on my own dime, and we did it, and I had a shelter in the Keys. And that's another point I want to bring out is, you know, they think, oh, you know, there used to be this term acceptable collateral damage, like the military is acceptable collateral. If we lost all of them, it's fine. The majority, everybody's safe. But what they don't realize is we affect the entire population because each one of us affects 25 people around us. Like my father affected our entire family. Right. All us kids were a mess. Yeah. Because of him. So they don't realize that, oh, you know, we, we can live without them. It's the butterfly effect, yeah, really. Yeah, but big time. Yeah. So we affect it in a, a negative way if we're not taken care of. <clears throat> when we start to, when we change, the whole society changes because of the impact we have. So, you know, because our rate of suicide is high. Every incarceration, spousal abuse, drug abuse, all of that is higher in veterans than it is in civilian. Because a lot of us believe we're monsters because of what we've done. Which you aren't. If there is a veteran out there listening, please know you are not a monster. Yeah, but we have to get to accept ourselves. Right. The biggest thing is me forgiving myself. Which is you know, hard. when I did my first walk on the Appalachian Trail, 
<clears throat> I thought it was to create awareness. It was my penance to forgive myself. Which, even if you're not a veteran, I have to say personally, that has been the hardest journey in my life. Yeah. Is the journey of self-forgiveness. Yeah. And you're the only one who can do it, by the way. You can have you can have everyone in the world forgive you for this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. But getting yourself to forgive, uh, what's... What's a tip? We I know we're we're we busted, busted the ten what? the ten minute uh, marker for the interview, but um, a tip out there as far as self forgiveness and then some information for folks that want to join yeah. and want to find out more about the long. One local. of the biggest things we do because I realize I don't help anybody. I can inspire people and I can walk with you on a path that I walked. We have a mentorship program which is phenomenal. It's simple little baby steps, but they're powerful, and it helps you shift your perception. I mean, I, I've seen it work, and we've helped thousands of people. And if you can go online to our website, thelongwalkhome.org, sign up to be a mentor, join one of our programs. We need people to mentor the veterans and their families, and you cannot be a mentor unless you take the program yourself because we will not let anybody tell somebody else what to do when they haven't done it themselves. Because right. to me, that's hypocrisy. And if yeah. you can't walk the talk, don't even talk to Oh, me. beautiful. I love this man. All right, Ron Zaleski, the organization is The Long Walk Home, uh, longwalkhome.org. Right. Uh, you got to do the work before you help others. I'm going to hop forward. I'm going to play one more Long Walk Home track. I'll let you choose, Ron. We've got Scenic Route to Alaska, Citizen King, Neil Young and Crazy Horse or Glenn Campbell, the choice is yours. I have no idea of any. I'm like Ooh. Jimi Hendrix and Dylan. Oh, nice. Kind of so you, I'm about it. If you play Hendrix for me, you know, with the power of love, oh, I, I'm all it. over it. All right. Well, then let's just do that. Oh, Hold on one second. God, I love it when you talk dirty. Hey. All right. You know what? I'm going to say, all right. You said power of love? Yeah. Let's see if I can pull it up. I might need to go straight through here. And um, is there anything that you wanted to say yes. that you didn't get a chance to say while I pull yeah, up your I wrote track? a book about my journey. I love to hear that. Yeah. It's perfect for the Thoughtful Thursday segment. Yeah, so it's about, it, it's about my transformation and how I saw the world. And I wrote it so civilians could understand veterans better and that veterans might be able to see my transformation, then they might be able to maybe make a shift. But the other reason I wrote it is so my boys would know who I am. They know who I am when they growing up with me, but they don't know who I was before. Oh, wow. So I want them to know, I wanted them to know why I did the stupid, crazy things that I did. And, uh, you know, so it's been good. I had to buy the book for both of them because they, you know, I bugged them for weeks. And they didn't buy it, so I finally bought it for them. And they read some of it anyway, so uh, I'm happy with that. Hey, know. Ron's kids, read the rest of the book. <laughs> you got to do the work yourself. Well, if they have read it, they're not telling me. <laughs> All right. Jimi Hendrix, Power to Love, live at Fillmore East in 1970. I'm Jenna Volpe. That was Ron Zaleski. Uh, this is Jimi Hendrix. And you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you just heard the Thoughtful Thursday segment underwritten by Green Hill Kitchen here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. 
The one and only Jimi Hendrix on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. A 50-year jump forward in time, hopping half a century. To Long Walk, Blandy, Brandy Clark from Your Life is a Record. Ten minutes before the NPR news break at the top of the hour, here on Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
gonna need it and take a long walk Hopping over Mary Cheap and Carpenter and the Stones, walking through fire and walking through the sleepy city to lead you into the NPR news break at the top of the hour and the local news update uh, with the presence of the United States of America and the love and spoonful music from all decades and genres, interviews with folks from all walks of life all morning and midnight long here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. Only because of you and your donations to WLIWFM.org. I'm Gianna Volpe. These are the presidents and the Love and Spoonful with Meanwhile Back in the City and Summer in the City on WLIWFM. If you want to reclaim those lost tracks, find the playlist on WLIWFM.org the Heart of the East End program page. Well, I stand in quite alone in a crowded disco when a man I did not know showed me the door and told me I had to go. But that kind of humiliation never happens on a farm, that's why. City living does the psyche such harm And I said fire escapes don't work Until there's a fire You gotta sleep on the floor Live in the mud There's no need to go higher Watch your taste of brick You won't want more Saving sanity's no trick When you're living outdoors Well it did not take me long my mistake when garbage trucks messed up my dreams i knew my dreams were fake i don't know how people gonna live like this pigeons might enjoy it but i can't live in this mess and i said fire skates don't work until there's a fire you gotta sleep on the floor live in the mud there's no need to go higher and once you taste the break you can't chew and talk saving sanity's a trick when you're living in a room the size of a shoebox the same thing gets me out of here fire escapes don't work until there's a fire you gotta sleep on the floor live in 
Live in the WLIWFM studio, I'm Gianna Volpe with local news on Long Island's only NPR radio station. Children will return to school this fall without being required to wear a mask, Governor Kathy Hochul said yesterday, though a rise in COVID-19 cases could lead to a policy reversal. Bart Jones and Greg Schneider report on Newsday.com that Hochul, holding a COVID briefing at her Manhattan office, shared her administration's plans for a potential fall surge of the virus amid the rapid spread of the BA.5 Omicron subvariant. Quote, we don't currently, based on today's numbers, anticipate the need for masks in classrooms, but I'm going to reverse the right to return this policy if the numbers change, the circumstances change, and the severity of the illness change. She said on Long Island, 34.3% of children between the ages of 5 and 11 had completed their vaccine series as of Friday. That number was 72.1% for the 12 to 17 age group, according to the New York State Department of Health. Some school district leaders praised the government's announcement, saying they hope it portends the start of a relatively normal school year. But the unpredictable nature of the virus and ongoing surge in cases had Long Island health experts urging caution. Hochul said in preparation for a potential fall surge, the state has stockpiled three million at-home test kits for distribution. Other elements of the plan include pushing to raise vaccination and booster rates and improving access to therapeutics. Dr. Mundeep 
uh, Kanth, a pedi- uh, pediatric uh, infectious disease doctor at Cohen Children's Medical Center in New Hyde Park, said the first thing she would like to see mandated is vaccines for children, since that offers the most protection against the virus. Quote, schools are known for spreading respiratory illnesses, and now they no longer have mitigation measures in place, such as social distancing, cohorts, and limited sports and trips, she said. Hochul said even though COVID-19 numbers are rising with BA.5, the state feels strongly that children should be in school. Augustine Turnator, a, uh, the superintendent of the Riverhead School District, said... Quote, we are encouraged and pleased with the governor's decision not to require masks when school opens for the 2022-23 school year. We remain vigilant in taking the CDC's guidelines to help ensure all our students and faculty remain safe and healthy. Speaking of schools and Riverhead at that, Riverhead Town and the school and fire districts in the town have not been paid more than $5 million in payments in lieu of taxes by the Long Island Power Authority for the current tax year. But it's not for lack of trying by LIPA. Denise Civiletti reports on RiverheadLocal.com that, in fact, the Power Authority's CEO has twice written to Supervisor Yvette Aguiar asking her for a meeting so LIPA could work out a process to allow LIPA to make pilots, which is payments in lieu of taxes for the current year. Quote, I note that all of the other towns in Suffolk County that have similarly exempted LIPA's parcels from the tax rolls have provided the necessary information on behalf of their taxing jurisdictions, and LIPA has made its pilot payments. Uh, LIPA CEO Thomas Falcone wrote in a May 26 letter to Aguiar. When he had no response to that letter, Falcone wrote again on June 29th, again asking for an invoice so LIPA could pay the pilots. Riverhead Town and LIPA are in a standoff over who will invoice LIPA for the pilots it owes. LIPA wants one consolidated invoice from the town, indicating that pilot amounts due to the taxing districts within the town. Riverhead has refused to issue, issue LIPA a consolidated invoice. Town officials say their outside council has advised against it. Instead, the town has asked the individual taxing districts to bill LIPA directly. LIPA told Riverhead Local in a statement that every other town in Suffolk County that has recorded LIPA properties as tax-exempt has issued a consolidated invoice that contains for each parcel the assessed value, the applicable tax rates, and includes all taxing jurisdictions. And each town has collected its pilots, LIPA said. Out on the water, there have been at least five confirmed shark bites off Long Island South Shore beaches in the past three weeks. And yesterday, a dead great white washed ashore in Quag. As reported on Newsday.com, researchers have determined the New York Bite, which encompasses the waters from May, uh, Cape May, New Jersey, to Montauk, is a great white nursery ground, something we have uh, many times interviewed Christopher Paparo, a member of the South Fork Natural History Museum's shark research team about here on the show. Paparo, who also serves as manager of Stony Brook University's Marine Sciences Center, warned against taking a tooth or souvenir as great whites are federally protected animals and doing so could result in a fine. He also stressed the recent spate of shark sightings and encounters is ultimately a good thing because it means area waters are clean. Quote, people can go and swim in the Gowanus Canal and not get attacked by a shark. But the reason there are sharks here is because the environment is healthy. And finally, tonight could be the final hearing 
from this House Select Committee investigating the attack on the Capitol on January 6th. And we will be covering it on our website tonight, uh, WLIWFM.org for that. The hearings start at 8, but there will be special programming that wraps the event. All things considered, we'll be doing lead-in coverage beginning at 7.30 p.m. We expect the hearing to focus on former President Trump's inaction to stop the attack on the Capitol during the 187 minutes when Trump was silent inside the White House as the riot unfolded again. That hearing begins tonight with all things considered getting started at 7.30 p.m. You can follow along live on our website, WLIWFM.org. Looking at the weather in East Hampton, in honor of the free virtual presentation being offered tonight through the Hamptons Observatory and John Germain Memorial Library. Uh, Something that you can do to preempt the hearing tonight, because that will be from 7 to 8. It's going to be about major meteor strikes and what we can learn from them. Professor Alan Rice will join us at the bottom of the hour here on The Heart for the Hot Sounds segment, underwritten by William Riss Gallery. Let's look at the weather in East Hampton. <laughs> Looking like mostly sunny today with a high near 82 degrees. Southwest wind 13 to 18 miles per hour, mostly clear with a low around 72 degrees. Southwest wind 8 to 13 miles per hour, becoming light and variable after midnight. There is a heat advisory in effect until 8 p.m. tonight, so please do stay hydrated, be careful, and stay cool. I'm Gianna Volpe keeping the music from all decades and genres running with the Lumineers, Lord Huron, Owl City, and Cave Town. Uh, This is Life in the City, followed by Meet Me in the City, Uh, and then we'll move to Owl City's Meteor Shower, appropriately enough. I'm Gianna Volpe. These are the Lumineers, and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
approaching the bottom of the 10 o'clock hour. One o'clock if you're listening to the replay, which means it's almost time for our Hot Sounds segment underwritten by William Riss Gallery. Professor Alan Rice joining us. Uh, appropriately enough, this is Meteor Shower by Owl City from the Ocean Eyes record of 2009. I'm Gianna Volpe, and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome, and you're listening to WLIWFM. Stay tuned for Professor Rice. All right, so I just checked, and it sounds like uh, Professor Rice is on the line. So let's get it started. Right now, it's the Hot Sounds segment. He's been a professor of geophysics, geology, sustainability, ocean oceanography, physics, and engineering at San Francisco State University. And he's done research with Stony Brook University and the Museum of Natural History, which he'll be discussing tonight during a virtual presentation through the Hamptons Observatory and John Germain Memorial Library, Professor Alan Rice. Welcome to the Heart of the East End. Good morning. Good morning. We're super excited to be geeking out with you about meteors, both this morning and tonight at 7 during your virtual presentation. With just a note that I believe registration is required for this event, so folks out there, make sure to find it on hamptonsobservatory.org if you're hoping to attend tonight. And we could start certainly with some basic stuff like the difference between a meteor and, and a meteorite being whether or not the meteor survives the atmosphere and lands upon a planet or moon. But I actually saw something last year that I would love to learn more about from you from an expert. November 15th of last year, my guy and I were heading back to Long Island when we saw something incredible I'd never seen before. I immediately called my dad. It was like a shooting star but it was green. 
And, and the color never fizzled out. It just continued to streak across the sky until I lost it through the trees. It appeared far too high to be anything man-made. And when I asked my dad what the heck I'd seen, he was both jealous and excited. He said it, w- it sounded like a green fireball, something that he's been hoping his whole life to see. A meteor which, instead of crashing to Earth, travels into the atmosphere and continues right on through to the other side? Am I on base with this stuff? And and if so, how rare are these events? Well, uh, fireballs are really meteors, uh, just big ones and more spectacular. And uh, uh, the interesting thing is that uh, the um, uh, breaking stresses of these meteors uh, even if they're made of iron, it's uh, less than the um, pressure on the front of the um, of the meteor as it comes barreling into the atmosphere, and uh, little pressure on the back end. Uh, so it's much like uh, uh, you know the uh, bug trying crashing against the windshield. And uh, the back end is the last thing um, that goes through his mind. And the um, it's, uh, that analogy seems to uh, set with a lot of people. I don't know about you, but we are. Uh, and the other thing is that the thermal stresses, uh, 3,000 uh, 3, um, degrees Kelvin on the front of this uh, meteor, and uh, they're coming in with a, at a temperature of two degrees Kelvin, so a three thousand degree temperature jump, jump right at that point, and uh, that exceeds their thermal stress, and so they break up. They almost always break up. And uh, I've seen I've seen this myself in Greece. That's the first one I saw. And uh, that was a, uh, uh, I joined uh, three of, three other English people on a beach in Lindos on the Isle of Rhodos. And um, the drinking, we had a whole jug of wine. We had a lot of us. And appropriately somebody, enough uh, in Greece. Pardon? I said appropriately enough on a beach in Greece. I'm sorry, I'm half deaf uh, over the years. Uh, continue, continue. What, what Apologies. Happened? Yeah. Okay. No, that's all right. Uh, the um, and it turned broad daylight. Uh, my first response is, "My God, they started a nuclear war," and uh, then uh, eventually this uh, big meteor came drifting across the sky and uh, breaking up as it came, uh, just like the one that. Uh, broke up over Russia uh, a couple of years ago as it flew in. And uh, some parts of that they were able to find uh, when it was small enough, the pieces were small enough, they eventually slowed down to drop to the ground. So they didn't really skip across the uh, uh, atmosphere, as many of these probably do. Uh, so you saw a object from a bolide, that's the common word for something of that nature, 
come skimming into the earth from a very high velocity, uh, maybe uh, 30,000 miles an hour, something like that. And uh, uh, it's just too much of a stress and they break up and burn. And so uh, relax if you need to know that was a meteor. Okay. It was it was it was fascinating. It was really uh, uh, one of the coolest, uh, if not the coolest thing that I've ever seen. Uh, l- let's talk about your uh, your research with Stony Brook University and the Museum of Natural History. You researched the occurrence and consequences of meteoric impacts on Antarctica, or, or in into Antarctica, uh, 45,000 of these meteorites have been found, but there's expected to be hundreds of thousands more out on the ice. Professor Rice, can you tell us a little bit more about these impacts? Uh, uh, yes, the uh, thinking is that the other 100,000 are buried in, underneath the ice, and that they eventually resurface after they land to uh, the ice flows. And there's the particular place that is uh, uh, rich in uh, meteors on the ground, um, meteorites when they hit the ground. When they're out there floating around uh, with nowhere to go yet, uh, they're called uh, meteoroids. And... Uh, then meteorites when they come steaming into, or then meteors that come steaming into the Earth's atmosphere. If you find them on the ground, it's a meteorite. It's a uh, geology jargon. The um, uh, so these uh, uh, this section of Antarctica seems to collect a lot of material from outer space, and then it gets buried. And then uh, the ice flows and goes over a sill. Uh, this is uh, pretty much established, and uh, the ice ablates, meaning it uh, doesn't melt, but it uh, uh, just boils off in a sense, and then reveals these uh, meteors uh, or meteorites, as it were, and uh, that's why uh, that makes them visible for uh, picking up. Right. There's other places where you can find. Uh, not readily, but uh, more more often than not, is in the deserts of Egypt. You can find meteorites because they're easy to spot. There's no vegetation. Right. Yeah. I was I was thinking at first why why so many in Antarctica, and and I reasoned, well, there must be meteorites everywhere, but it's particularly easy to spot, uh, you know, a, a meteorite in the snow, and as you mentioned probably equally as easy to see in a place like a desert. Uh, can we talk about about consequences? Um, what, what, ha- what, what happens to the Earth? Uh, you know, uh, obviously, w- one obvious one is uh, the possibility, or perhaps you can talk um, more intelligently about, uh, for, for example, uh, how the dinosaurs died and... and uh, what could happen if a large enough meteor strikes the surface of the Earth? But uh, also, perhaps, impacts of 
all these smaller meteors uh, striking the Earth's surface? Mm-hmm. Uh, the smaller meteors impacting the Earth have a better chance of doing it without breaking up. One of the difficulties with asteroids is that they, uh, there are uh, two sections of the Earth sciences that explores these things. And those who only study the uh, uh, strength of uh, an asteroid uh, have a different view in that uh, they don't touch the dinosaur thing. Mm. But uh, the asteroids, are they regard them as dust bunnies, is the term they use. And they uh, have, uh, say, for instance, it could be a lot of iron in them, but they have a, a density much less than iron. So they either have voids or fractionated inside and perhaps filled with water. And the uh, feeling is what they're, what's happened is over the some years they've uh, collected up dust and gathered it up. But there's not enough gravi- uh, gravity energy or gravity pressure because they're so small to actually change the uh, asteroid into something more solid. Metamorphism is a they like to use. Right, right. The so so it, 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 it breaks up, you're saying, that because of the, the composition, it will uh, crumble, crumble basically. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, more likely that uh, smaller ones will uh, uh, have a chance to get to the surface of the Earth. And that's one of the things we picked up in uh, looking at uh, looking at the situation in Antarctica. After the initial uh, discovery by Jack Weihaupt, who had taken a, a traverse across the Antarctica from we'll see uh, uh, across to the South Pole, uh, measuring gravity all the way, uh, found a gravity negative that would you'd only associate with a meteorite uh, impact. So you see things like this, for instance, on Mars. It looks quite like that. Those on Mars, and. Uh, then when they were able to do gravity with these satellites, uh, they got a much uh, more complex picture of Antarctica. And uh, the, it looked like uh, maybe some big thing had come in and broken up, as I mentioned before. And uh, the um, uh, uh, it had spread out and made dents in the ice or in, in the uh, uh, Antarctic, uh, uh, well, the Antarctic ice, uh, because there was a lot of ice. There was a, a West Antarctic ice sheet was there, but at the same time that people have now been able to date, uh, date when this meteor uh, meteor hit, as it were. Uh, at the same time, the West Antarctic ice sheet disappeared. So the speculation now that we put out is that uh, a number of people have thought the West uh, Antarctic ice sheet disappeared about 450,000 years ago. 
and that led to a, a maybe a 10-meter, uh, 10 20-meter rise in sea level, which changed many things, changed the circulation of the ocean. This they know. So uh, the next thing we're... That's, uh, that's, I think that's, we should be... that's amazing. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that, for example... It makes sense now that now that I'm thinking about it, but that a meteorite or a meteorite or I guess, yeah, could change the way that the ocean is moving. Yes, but that is due to the uh, secondary effect of the loss of the West Antarctic ice sheet. Right. That's what really changed it. If there was no ice sheet to lose, it might not have changed. The fragile ecosystem. I said it's just it's such a fragile ecosystem and just so many variables. Yeah. Now now adding uh, meteorites to that equation uh, to our thoughts about climate change. Uh, Professor Rice, very Mm -hmm. excited about your lecture tonight at seven at the Hamptons Observatory and John Germain. Uh, Memorial Library, a virtual presentation, registration required. Uh, Find out more information at hamptonsobservatory.org. I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Professor Alan Rice. This is Anna of the North and Gus Dapperton, single called Meteorite from this year. And that was the Hot Sound segment underwritten by William Risk Gallery right here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLI-WFM.
Surprise, surprise, my friends. The the rest of the playlist is Meteorites here on Long Island's only NPR radio station. This is a 2021 single from Husky. Meteorite on WLIWFM. And then I've got some ASMR, asthma. It's a, called The French Whisperer. And I'm pretty sure it's just a French man whispering information about meteorites. I'm going to play it. Meteorite impacts on deck it's just a after Husky here on WLIWFM NPR Radio.
returning through meteoroids and asteroids that fall to Earth. As you also know, they are sometimes big enough to not shed all their matter during their crossing of the atmosphere. And so sometimes they impact the surface. They can even be big enough to create an impact crater. Let's take a look at their composition, their size, and in some extreme cases in Earth history, how they can impact, have an effect on the planet as a whole. Meteorites, the remains of a falling meteoroid, are not that common. Normally about half a dozen to a dozen a year are observed to fall and are recovered for analysis. There are certainly many more that go unnoticed or fall into oceans. But a few dozens meteorites a year is almost nothing when you compare it with the millions of meteoroids that enter the atmosphere every day. Out of these few meteorites, even less are big enough to create an impact crater. Most of the time they are no bigger than a pedal, and they create a small pit. But the possible crater and their size, when they hit the surface, is not only determined by their mass, the more important factor is what they are made of. The French, the French whisperer, ladies and gentlemen, from shooting stars, comets, and asteroids of the current year, 2022, hopping back to 2016. This is Meteorites from a band called Lights. Midnight Machines is the record. Less than 15 minutes before the end of this edition of The Heart. Deep bow to our guests this morning, Ron Zaleski and Professor Alan Rice, and of course, our underwriters, Greenhill Kitchen and William Riss Gallery. I'm Gianna Volpe. This is Lights. We've got uh, Banks, an Echo, and the Bunny Man, uh, some Purple Cat, if we can fit it in. Music from all decades and genres, interviews with folks from all walks of life, all morning and midnight long, all because of you, the listener of Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
There were two versions of that track that I found. I went with the the softer version. I've actually got a, a harder track up next, and that is the title track from Echo and the Bunnymen's 2014 record. Color me surprised. I didn't know that they had a record then. I'm going to play the title track. Tuck Banks uh, Meteorite into my back pocket and lead you into the NPR news break with Purple Cats meteorites from the Sea of Stars record of the current year. I'm Gianna Volpe. These are Echo and the Bunny Men, and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to WLIWFM. You can find us on the 88.3 section of your FM dial throughout eastern Long Island and coastal Connecticut, 
96.9 in Central and Western Suffolk, and the corresponding sections of Connecticut, of course, streaming online to wherever you are at WLIWFM.org.
It's been a long walk through our meteorite edition of The Heart. Deep bow to all who tuned in this morning. That's our broadcast. Stay tuned for the NPR News Break. And lots of great commercial-free programming. I'm Gianna Volpe. This is Purple Cat. And you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to WLI-WFM. <laughs>